Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to the Gospel according to John. John chapter 1, the Gospel according to John. We pick up uh, where we left off. We're going through a John series on Sundays, and we're going through a Hebrew series on Wednesdays, and certainly invite you uh, to those, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. But here in John chapter 1, where it's been a week, I think we've been a couple weeks since we've been here, so kind of wanted to start off and give us the, uh, the main thrust again, if, if we remember that John was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and uh, here's the fourth gospel, and John will bring up John the Baptist in here, but one of the John's main objectives here early in John chapter 1 is for us to see that God is mighty. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is the God. He is God in flesh. Jesus existed before his birth. He created all things. And so we see the deity of Jesus Christ is especially established. He calls him the Word in chapter 1. The logos, and in the Greek, that's what that means, the word logos. And it's more, there's a more significance to that word, the logos in the Greek, and in the Hebrew, it is deber. Um, in the Old Testament, the word, the deber, had a special significance to it, as you read through the Old Testament. God's word was his expression of himself. A word uh, denotes like an inner thought. It, it is your inner being and expression. And there was really three ways that we see in the Old Testament that God expressed his, his word. He expressed it in revelation. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. He expressed his, his self in creation. We know that the, the Lord spoke and all things were made and all things were made by him and for him. He's the owner. He's the creator of all things by his power. And we also know that the word was expressed, the day bear, the logos in the Old Testament was meant for salvation. The word of the Lord was sent and it came and it healed those who were sick. So we know that, that Jesus in verse 14 it says the word was made flesh. We know when John describes the word, he's not only describing those Old Testament features of God's expression of those things as salvation, revelation, and creation, but it is embodied in the very person of Jesus Christ, who has been forever. The deity of Jesus is expressed here. Um, so we know that it embodied, all of those things were embodied in Christ. In Hebrews, it teaches us that Jesus was the express image in the brightness of God's glory, that Jesus is the final word of God, that how God in the past through various ways had talked to his people through the prophets and various ways, but in these last days have spoken unto us by his son. Now, it was always God's objective to speak through his son. The things in the Old Testament and history that we read and, and we, you know, all of these laws and sacrifices and the nation of Israel, the prophets, the kings, all of these things were meant to point to the Savior who would come. And God's final word would always be in Jesus when he came and be God in flesh with us. That's what the incarnation 
of the Word was. He became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself dwelt among us in the glorious person of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Um, now, to look upon Jesus, you wouldn't say that he came as a king or, you know, as he walked down the streets. You wouldn't say that the look upon him, as Isaiah said, there was nothing calmly or thing desired of him. He had dust on his feet. He had, he had dirt on his clothes. But it was Jesus, Emmanuel, God. And once you uh, met Jesus, once you spoke with Jesus, oh, he was different. This man's different. The, this man is full of grace and truth. He's the, he has the, the glory of the only begotten, the begotten of the Father in verse 14. We left with verse 14 last time. I, I, we intended on getting from verse 14 to verse 18 last week, but we, or not last week. I say last week, but you know what I mean. The last time we were in John. We're going to start here in verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried. Now he's talking about John the Baptist. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all, uh, all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. Lord, we... Humbly come and worship you of heart, Father, just for your greatness, how mighty you are that come to save, to finish and accomplish your work. Father, today is the day, Lord, that we preach your gospel, and Father, we, we desire, we trust in you to make it effectual in the hearts of people to call your sheep home. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. When it says here that John bear witness of him, we're going to go a little bit slow because it's so rich right here. We know it's John the Baptist and he bore witness of him and cried. What that means is John is called Jesus's herald. Now, a herald was a very official person. You know, when you hear the word herald, you just think of calling out or making an announcement. But the herald was an official in the king's court. The herald would go before the king, and the herald had to have a loud voice, and there he would make a proclamation for the king. That he would go before, and kind of like he would trumpet for the king. And hark the herald angels sing. The, the angels were heralding, here is Jesus, the newborn king. And so John the Baptist, this was what God had charged him to be. He's fulfilling prophecy. And it says that he cried, saying. Now there's a lot in that word, he cried. What that means is he cried out. Uh, and now if you know, remember no, John the Baptist, if you look at Matthew and you look at Luke, John the Baptist was a very special man. We know that he is cousins with Jesus that Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, they knew each other, that John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. And then if you remember what happened when Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth and started talking, that John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb. I mean, this man is a wild man. He, he's excited. 
He's excited about Christ. I mean, I, I imagine, uh, ladies, you have had uh, children, he just leapt in the womb and high-fived the pancreas, right? So, <laughs> I mean, that's the way I picture John the Baptist. He was excited. Here's the king. I mean, even in the womb, he was heralding Jesus Christ. But it says that John cried out. That means to cry out the herald with a loud voice. Now, I want to show you something. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah. There's going to be two chapters. Isaiah chapter 40, we look at the prophecy of John the Baptist and the way that he was to prepare the way for Christ, that he was to be the trumpeter of Christ. Now, the name of the message is Trumpeting the Fullness of Christ. Trumpeting the Fullness of Christ. Chapter 40 of Isaiah. So we see in verse 3, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Now, notice that word crieth. You'll see a very significant time. I mean, let's not skip over this word crieth. The, Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as of the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth glad tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. So we see the purpose of the herald. Cry out. Cry out. I mean, as, as much as you can, don't be afraid. Now, Look at Isaiah chapter 42. Now it gives a description of the herald to the king. Don't hold back. Cry out. But what about Jesus as he is coming? And this will bless you right here. Isaiah chapter 42. Look at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold mine elect and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit within him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Kings don't do that, do they? He a bruise, verse 3, a bruised reed shall be not break. Shall he shall not break. As in smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. 
Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my promise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. If you are heralding Jesus Christ, he's the king. The king did not have to cry out. So we see that God had charged John the Baptist to cry out, here comes the king. Here comes the king. And that was what God charged to John the Baptist. Today, Jesus charges his church with the same message. Here came the king. Here came the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are to be Jesus' herald. We're to cry out. We're to present him. And that is what we see here. The difference between the heralds of Christ, the witnesses of Christ versus Jesus himself. He didn't have to raise his voice. He didn't have to cry out. That's our job. That's what we're to do. We're to witness. We're to be the witnesses to Jesus Christ, our King. Now here's the thing. Um, John the Baptist later, as, as we see, we're going to see you know, a couple more things about John the Baptist, but John the Baptist, he became such a squeaky wheel, <laughs> so loud about his trumpeting, his boldness. It says that he had the power and the spirit of Elijah, that he had started to get disciples. And two of those disciples were Andrew and John. And so when Jesus came on the scene and they're like, uh, John, the Jesus is, is baptizing more than you. And everybody's starting to leave your church and they're going to Jesus's. They're going over to Jesus's. And, and John's like, who do you think I am? This isn't about me. I'm not out here crying. I'm not out here trumpeting for the Lord to be seen, to be appreciated, to be marveled at. How many preachers today do that? They stand up in the pulpits and all they want to do is for you to see them. That's all they want. And their glamour, their ways that they have about speaking and things of that, that they never point to Jesus Christ. If you are to pay attention to me, I pray that if you pay any amount of attention to me, you're suddenly going to be paying attention to me talking about Christ. That's it. Not me about him. And so we see that John the Baptist bear witness of him back in John chapter 1 verse 15. I may go a little bit quick. Um, he cried saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me. So John is again uh, bringing up the fact the deity of Jesus Christ, the pre-existence of God and his uh, pre-existence as, as his deity. But Something that's interesting here in verse 15 that it may be easy to skip over is he says that he who is coming, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. Now, 
deep in here is these, it's layered. In the Old Testament, if you were a Jew and believed the Old Testament, believed the law, believed the prophets, believed the Torah, the Davidic king was always the one who would come. That was who he was. The Messiah is the one who should come. He shall come and save his people. They knew that the Davidic king was in reference to, oh, you're talking about the one who should come. He shall come. Uh, if you remember John the Baptist, uh, later on when he's in prison, he sends word to Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you the one that should come? Or should we look for another? And how did Jesus answer John the Baptist? He says, well, he's told the disciples, go and show John what I've done. And you don't have to turn there. But, uh, John the, but Jesus had said that the lame had received their strength and that they had, the blind had received their sight. Now, Jesus, when he had told them everything that he had done, and that's what we had just read in Isaiah 42, how the prisoners had been set free, how uh, the, the blind had received sight, what was he in effect telling John? He was telling John that he is the Messiah of Isaiah chapter 42. Not only is Jesus the fulfillment of the Messiah, because John the Baptist's credentials were on Isaiah 40. John the Baptist is going to know what he's talking about. Oh, Jesus has fulfilled all of these things that the Messiah should fulfill. But Jesus is also the fulfillment of Jubilee. Do you know that? What was Jubilee? Jubilee was a time. It was a time of freedom. The slaves would be set free. The land would go to rest. The debt would be paid. And that is what Jesus has come to do. And the, the same way he answered John, he fulfilled two things. He says that he is the one who has restored man to God. That without God, we're all in debt. We're all in sin debt. We're all prisoners. We're all, we have this debt that we cannot pay. But Jesus came as the year of Jubilee and it set us free. If you believe in him, you owe no debt to God anymore. You are not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a servant. You've been set free. And so uh, Jesus has done that. And just a beautiful way that John is saying he is the one who has come. He's the Davidic king. He's the one who has promised the throne of David has come. The Messiah has come. And look at this. He says in uh, verse 16, And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. Now, there's several things happening in this one verse. Notice, he says, and of his fullness have all we received. The first thing you need to know is you receive grace. Grace can only be received. Grace, God's grace cannot be earned. The fullness, the witness, the testimony, all the things that Jesus is, you cannot earn it. You must be given it and you must receive it. You must not only believe it, you must trust it that he has given it to you, it's cost Jesus everything. It cost Jesus his life, but it cost you nothing. You receive it. So grace is something we receive in verse 16. And John received it, and all who are the sons of God have received it. Who has received the fullness of God's grace? 
All those who are the sons of God. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 11 or verse 12 of John chapter 1. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when he says in verse 16, we all have, have all we received, he's talking about those in verse 12. All those who have received him and were given power to become the sons of God. All of you, if you repented of your sins, you turned from your sins, you turned to Christ in saving faith, asked the Lord to save you, and you believe and trust that he has, and you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then you felt the peace of the Holy Spirit. You are a child for God. You're stamped for heaven. Heaven is your home. You're justified by his blood, the effect of his blood. You may forget your name and everybody else's name tomorrow and not even remember the name of Jesus, but Jesus knows you. Because it was by his own precious blood, he paid for your sins to redeem you from the curse. He will not fail, even though we fail. Of course we fail. That's the reason he came, is that he does not fail. If you do all of those things, you have received the fullness of Jesus Christ and his grace. God has shined in your hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ in your hearts. The same God who called, dark, who called light to shine out of darkness has shined in your light the knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ and the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You have received a witness. You have received the fullness of Christ. You know, we didn't have to be standing there with John to know the fullness of Jesus Christ. Well, what did he tell Thomas? Thomas, you believe because you see me. Blessed art thou who believe in me having not seen me. Now, John the Apostle is saying, look, not just I witness the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ, but John the Baptist witnessed it. And in verse 16, have all we received. We've all received it. We all can testify just as John the Baptist, just as John the Apostle, all of us can testify of the fullness of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. You have the Holy Spirit testifying within you. You can herald for Jesus because you have the Holy Spirit testifying within you that once I was lost, but now I'm found. I've been justified. I've been sanctified. And I have the victory in Christ. Can't you testify that? Why is it that we cannot talk about the best thing that ever happened to you? Let's talk about it. This is the best thing that ever happened to you or will ever happen to you. I, I know that I would like to talk about those things. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. God has saved me and this is what he did. He changed my heart. He changed my life. He gave me hope. He gave me joy. Listen to how the Lord blessed me. Listen to how the Lord had provided for me. And the Lord will show his glory in your life with your obedience, your faith in him and you're trusting in him we can testify that of Jesus's boundless love to us now this grace for grace in um, verse 16 it gets a little deeper there um, I'm I read after a couple people uh, one person I read after is D.A. Carson uh, one of uh, just a brilliant theologian and uh, 
just a beautiful uh, book that he, a commentary that he's written in John. In verse 16, when he says, and we of this fullness have all we receive in grace for grace. Now, some interpret that grace for grace to mean um, grace, abounding grace. Uh, but D.A. Carson, or grace upon grace, D.A. Carson says actually that word should be grace replacing grace. Now, I don't want to go into deep exposition with this, but maybe you can go home and study this. The context of this verse is that the law that was given by God was also a grace of God. All the advantages the Jews had in the law, in the heritage, in God's protection of their nation, in God blessing them, it was by the grace of God. Anything God does as a blessing to us is by his grace. That means we don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. And so even the economy of the law, as Paul had said, the law was holy, just, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Uh, just Adam did not keep the law. Adam broke the law and inspired all of us into this nature, this sin nature. Now, this was a grace that God had given, but we could not live up to the righteousness that is of the law. So Jesus came in the full embodiment of grace. He is the, the newer grace. He's the new grace. So that makes sense when we start going into verse 17 that he's talking about grace for grace. Grace replaces grace. The grace of Jesus Christ that's full in him in the knowledge and the fullness of Jesus Christ, his grace, the embodiment of his grace, replaces any prior grace that God has given, whether it is obedient to the law, the nation, any of those things. In verse 17, that now it makes sense as we walk into verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There's a few things I want us to notice about this. The law was given by Moses. To, to the Jew, the law was the, the means to an end. The law was given by Moses. So you have a detached law from Moses. But look at what Jesus gave. Jesus, but grace and truth came by Jesus. Grace and truth is attached to Jesus. The law was detached from Moses because Moses gave it. And now they possess it without Moses. Grace and truth, it comes attached with Christ in him alone. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That law had come by Moses, or that grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. Now, first, I want to talk about the law. The law is holy, just, and good. The law that came by Moses. The law, we need to also understand, the law is binding. Uh, you hear people say that, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Now, here's, the, here's the, the problem with that. That truth does not belong to humanity in general. You hear people say, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. That truth does not belong to everybody. That truth only belongs to the redeemed. That truth only belongs to those who have died to the law, as Paul exclaims. 
Ezekiel 18.20, do not be deceived. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sinneth shall die. That God must react and he must punish to be just. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those who do not believe are under the perishing. And what's that perishing? The perishing is where you have broken the law. You're still under the law. And so the law is doing its job. It, is, it should be bringing you the Christ. Jesus once for all died in my place for the penalty of the law. And Paul is beautiful. talks about um, consider yourself dead to the law only if you have been crucified with Christ. If Jesus died for your sins, he died for your old man, the one that was condemned under sin, that you were crucified with him. That means is that the old Philip was put on the cross as if it were me. But it was Jesus, not me. The old Philip is there on the cross. But Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again. And for my justification to know that God has received Jesus' payment for my sin. And uh, is your sin paid for? Is it all paid for? You don't want to... You don't want to let this go. Because once you die, there's no coming back and asking God to forgive you of your sins and being saved. That's it. There's no redo. There's no do-overs. There's no second chance. It's now. It's now. Now, Jesus died for the penalty that each believer owed. Third, the law cannot make us righteous. Fourth, we see God in his grace, his free grace, has provided the righteousness he requires in the person of Jesus Christ. Today we talked about the gospel in Sunday school, and we started to define what the gospel was and what the gospel is not. The gospel is the good news that as we preach, we preach that we have not lived up to the standard of God. And if you are the die, you're the die in your sins. And God being just, he is all things. He's love, he's mercy, he's, he's grace, but he's just. And he says and has promised that if you sin, if you die in your sins, you will end up paying for those sins for eternity. You'll never have completely finished paying for those sins. That's, that's what he has promised. So what's the good news? That's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is, is that there's no way we can live up to the righteousness of the law. There's no way that we can be good enough. There's no way that I can impress God. There's no way that, you know, I can feel good about me standing before God when I die. Uh, there's no way of those things. So what has God done? You know what, in the, in, in the, the crazy, <laughs> not crazy, but the most amazing and astonishing thing is, is I didn't even know I had a sin problem till God revealed I had a sin problem to my heart. God is the one who sees the problem before I ever saw the problem. God says he will die and he will pay for his sins forever and ever and ever. And God in his determinate counsel before the world ever started, he says, I'm going to have grace and mercy upon Philip. I'm going to reveal his, his true state before God himself. But, but guess what? I'm going to send a Savior. 
that who will fulfill all righteousness, who will fulfill all the law, who will die upon the cross willingly, giving his life pain, suffering, and sorrow for the, all of the torture and the, the pain that Philip would have gone through. God sent his own son. God sent his own beloved son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's grace. That's grace. It's God's grace. Oh, I love it. Uh, Romans chapter 3, and then we'll be done. Verse 24. Actually, turn over there with me. Romans chapter 3. It's not too far away. Romans chapter 3, the law, like I said, the law came by grace, or the law came by Moses. What's the law? The law is holy, just, and good. We are not. We cannot keep the law. Number two, the law is binding. You cannot come out from under the law. It's a relationship you cannot break. You're under the law, and God said all flesh uh, will not be justified. All flesh is condemned under the law. Uh, number three, if the law cannot make us righteous and we can't keep the law, we can't be a better person, then what does that mean? That means that it should be sounding an alarm in your heart that you've got to run and flee to Christ because he's our only savior. He's the only way that we will escape God's wrath. Number four, well, what is this that God has done for us? And he tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Do you notice that it's propitiation is a covering? He's our atonement. He's the covering of our sins. What did Jesus himself, God himself in flesh, have to do to cover my sins, he had to bleed. He had to suffer. This man of God bled for me. And if you believe, he bled for you and died for you. He suffered for you. Verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That means that God has fulfilled his justice. He has not uh, compromised his justice for the sake of mercy. Because he can have mercy on me because the justice that, he was, that was pending upon me has been satisfied. It's been satisfied in Christ. That's the Savior. That is the Lamb that shall take away the sins of the world. That is the king of kings. That's the Davidic king. He's the Messiah who came to save his people. And what's our charge as the Lord's church today? Let's herald it. Let's herald it. As John the Baptist says, as John says, all we have received the fullness of Jesus Christ, his grace and truth. Just as if we were standing there next to John the Baptist and John the Apostle, we too have received Christ's fullness. So let's herald. 
God gave orders to John the Baptist to herald before he came. Jesus gives his church to herald Jesus Christ because he's come. Isn't that wonderful? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace to us. Father, just we, we pray that you're pleased and honored. And Father, as we leave this place, that we have been lifted up, that we know, Lord, our salvation secure in your Son. And we can leave this place no matter what happens. We are safe in your hands. Father, may you just give us the courage and the desire just to, to put things in perspective, to put life the, the right priorities. Father, in this, this time that we have remaining, Father, may we just be faithful to be witnesses unto you of the fullness which we ourselves have received of you, of the fullness of grace. Father, how sweet it is. Lord, we, we pray that we'd just be a witness and a testimony to you and that you be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.